Welcome back to the One Take Wonder podcast with the Hot Weird Girl. This is the Hot Weird Girl in question, Alexia, and you can find me on every social media platform at Hot Weird Girl, that's girl with the zero, instead of an I. And this week's episode does involve very intense and heavy discussions of domestic violence, interpersonal violence, and sexual violence. It's something that I wanted to give you a heads up on before you continue. If this episode is not your speed, no offense taken, I have plenty of other lighthearted episodes for you to engage in, but I did just want to give that disclaimer going in. Usually I always put a disclaimer in the description box, but I'm starting to go forward now giving that verbal warning as well. Without further ado, let's get into it and let's talk about my personal belief that Black women are groomed into reproductive abuse as an overall pattern of being groomed into relationships of domestic violence. I love when you guys reach out with podcast topics. Um, If you are listening because you watched me record this tonight on live and today's date is November 13th. Wow, this year is flying by. November 13th. Um, Thank you to Rye the Spy for reaching out and reminding me of something that I've been dying to talk about. It really means so much every time you guys leave topic suggestions um, or vote in the polls. So this week what I want to talk about is something that I think I left off on a couple weeks ago and that's the idea that Black women are groomed for abuse within their relationships. This is something I think a lot, particularly when it comes down to the baby mama issue. And I say that with quotes. You can't see me, but I'm making quotes with my fingers because what I ultimately think the baby mama issue is, is an amalgamation of a couple things. One, it's blaming women for the faults of men. Um, A single mother, most of them don't start off that way. And while there are women who choose to go into parenthood alone, many women are abandoned, but we'll touch on that later. Two, I think it ignores the prevalence of domestic violence and the role that reproductive coercion specifically plays in Black women's reproductive choices. And three, I think it presents this idea that pregnancy is something you can't avoid. And I want to start with that issue because it feels like almost every time I go live and I ask people for topic suggestions, or even when I'm just live to, you know, sort of shoot the shit and engage in the shameless self promo that is um, talking to a bunch of really cool people online. Someone is like, can you give your opinion on baby mamas? And I almost think it's this opinion that someone thinks I'm going to say something feral, like just because of the way I talk or the way people perceive that I act, that I'm going to have this like really harsh old school auntie opinion that like black women need to choose better and black women need to be doing better. Um, And it's not that at all. But then I think there's also this side that like, being a baby mama as a black woman is a fate you can't avoid and like you absolutely totally can it's called birth control um condoms are everywhere the pill is available at most clinics you can get an iud you can get the hormonal implant did i say condoms already spermicide the ring the pull-out method would be better than what I think some girls are doing, which is just fucking raw. And maybe if you don't want to have a baby, like, number one baseline, don't let a dude come inside you. It's my podcast, so I can say that I might get banned off of the TikTok, though, for saying that. Um, But it's very bizarre to me how people will walk around as if they have no choice in this inevitability, as if it's just something to accept. You can absolutely choose to have certain things not happen to you. When people are very diligent about taking their birth control and engaging in safe self 
safe sex practices, it's fantastically easy to avoid pregnancy. And while mistakes do happen, that's why my advice to you, and this is not like great financial advice, but make sure you always have access to $1,000. I don't mean $1,000 like liquid in your bank account. I get it. Times are tough. Make sure you always have $1,000 in your credit limit so you can swipe at Planned Parenthood and perhaps get on a Greyhound bus to get where you need to go. And that's dark, but these are dark times that we're living in in states that have restricted abortion access. So if you live in a state where abortion access is restricted and you're sexually active and you know you don't want a baby right now, knowing what your legislators have done to make that choice difficult for you, think about a backup plan. It's not fair and it's not right, but It sort of is the reality that those are the steps you're going to have to take to protect yourself. And I wanted to start off with this idea that, you know, being a baby mama is something that can be avoided because I also think after getting a DM from this girl a couple months ago and she was like, I'm really afraid that it's going to happen to me, that a lot of people forget that we're not dandelions in the wind and we have complete control and agency and it's not manifestation. It's not throwing your hands up and you know, asking for someone to come down, although it's totally cool if you believe in things like that. It's more so just like, I can make certain choices to not have this happen to me. So I want to get it out of the way that motherhood is something that's avoidable because of the rest of the conversation is going to focus on the fact that for so many women, particularly Black women, domestic violence has robbed them of their bodily autonomy and their ability to make reproductive choices. As I said at the beginning of this episode, I really want to focus on the idea that Black women are groomed into abusive relationships. Um via cultural standards. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to become educated by a local women's shelter in the area. And one thing that always stuck out with me was the director of the shelter saying that domestic violence thrives because society allows it to. And once you understand that, it's very hard to unsee it. Most people, if you approach them on the street and you asked, do you have a problem? And I just want to even though there's already been a disclaimer that this episode will include mentions of domestic violence, I do want to say now that this will be a pretty violent description. Do you have a problem with, you know, hitting your partner, punching your partner in the face, raping your partner? Most people would say no. Most people would actually go and invoke this performance of like, and I would hurt someone who did that to my loved ones, blah, 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 blah. But the numbers at which men and women and children are suffering in violent interpersonal relationships, it it tells a different truth. It tells the idea that in actuality, when it comes down to it, both in my lived experience and watching how people respond to others, watching how people respond to celebrities, the most comfortable option for most people is to turn a blind eye, is to make excuses. Nobody wants to call the police when they hear their neighbor screaming. Nobody wants to believe that their friend who they hung out with for years is actually capable of knocking a girl out. Nobody wants to believe that their friend is capable of sexual assault because they seem like such a good person. And Lundy Barcroft in his novel, or not his novel, I'm sorry, in his book, Why Does He Do That?, which is a really great book on the warning signs of domestic violence. And you don't have to go buy it. It's a free PDF. Again, that's Why Does He Do That by Lundy Barcroft. Talks about this idea that abusers groom their community as much as they groom their victim. And that's one of the things that I want to push back on what he says. And I know I'm not alone in that. Other domestic violence experts have pointed out that it's not so much 
abusers have to manipulate their community. Sure, there's a level of manipulation involved, but they take advantage of a pre-existing infrastructure that allows them to abuse, rape, maim, harm with impunity absolute impunity. For example, if you're listening to this in mid-November, then you'll know that Kiki Palmer has recently made headlines because she just escaped an abusive relationship with her ex-boyfriend and baby daddy. And there's a heartbreaking clip of Kiki being thrown across the room. And I believe, and I I couldn't watch it too heavily, um, but she alleges in the restraining order that was granted against him that he attempted to strangle her. Strangulation, if you didn't know, is one of the warning signs for homicide. It is literally the step before someone is going to kill you. They first experiment with putting putting their hands on your throat. It was an incredibly serious situation, and the response to Kiki Palmer predictably and heartbreakingly has been one of blame. Instantly, people think of the situation where she wore a quote-unquote scandalous outfit to Usher. It wasn't a scandalous outfit, but nonetheless, her baby tatted baby daddy tweeted, but you're a mom though, to imply that Kiki no longer had sexual agency or that her sexuality could no longer be a public performance because she had given birth to his child. And people at the time pointed out that this was a controlling really scary behavior and people excused it. No one who's educated on domestic violence saw that behavior and thought that Kiki Palmer or any woman who experiences treatment like that from a partner is in a safe situation. Most people who are educated on the topic also knew that if that's what he was willing to do publicly, humiliate her publicly and engage in that sort of public discourse where he opened her up to opinions from incels and the manosphere and people who would always think of this thing that was happening to her, this abuse as a stain on her reputation, as I talked about, I think maybe two months ago in my podcast episode, or I talked about how heartbreaking it is that people like Megan Thee Stallion and Amber Heard and Krishan may never be able, and Tina Turner may never be able to escape the stain on their reputation because of the harm that was done to them by men. And so Kiki now is not being embraced warmly by the public at best in these middling shade room-esque three-tiered panels with thoughts, people are making jokes, but most people don't seem to have enough of a fundamental problem with what happened to her. And it suggests, again, and so this example is really emblematic of, again, this idea of when push comes to shove, literally, most people aren't willing to do anything about domestic violence. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Most people are willing to push women, particularly Black women, and I want to keep hammering this home, so I'm going to say it as many times as I want, into these abusive relationships. And one such way is the trope of the baby mama and what a good baby mama is. And I also want to add this preference that I don't Some people approach this topic conversation and they try to shame women, but my feeling is just because you made a choice that I wouldn't make doesn't mean I have the right to be like, oh, fuck you, have shame in yourself, you don't deserve support for your baby, and I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I don't want my taxes to fund. My taxes are funding an act of genocide, a fact that makes me furious and also means that I won't be voting for a certain decrepit, senile um, presidential candidate 
although I'll never miss the opportunity to step into the voting booth. What will I do about that? I'm not sure. I have a whole year to think about it. But yeah, I don't I don't care if my resources go to helping a woman out, whether she made a quote unquote dumb choice or whether she was taken advantage of. So I don't say this as a way to shame. I don't mean baby mama as a pejorative, but we all know that it's a cultural term that we use to refer to single mothers who may or may not be dealing with their child's father. Usually the relationship between baby mama and baby daddy is an ambiguous one, something that men take advantage of. And we'll touch on that in more detail in a second. But the idea of baby mamas increasingly is so obvious that it's a means of course of control. Last year, there was a trend, I believe this time last year actually, where people made slideshows on TikTok to the Mariah Scientist, to the, bleh, to a Mariah the Scientist song. Um, you know, the one that's like, I mean to wonder how I let this go under, blah, 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 blah. Why are there a million girls that look like Mariah the Scientist? And because I'm a freak and because I make spreadsheets and slideshows about everything that I notice in this life, one thing that I started noticing is all the stories went like this. A pretty young girl, emphasis on the fact that she's pretty and very, very young. Most of the girls engaging in this trend and telling these stories were all under 23, with the majority of the girls that I remember being like high school age. And they would talk about how they were doing so good. They were doing well in class. Maybe they had a little, you know, youthful business going. Maybe they were making plans for college. And then they get with a guy and it's going really well. And then they pop up pregnant. Now, there's a divergence in how this these two stories play out, although it's always the same ending. Women who lived in states with restricted abortion access due to the Dobbs decision, if you somehow live under a rock, last June, in June of 2022, the Supreme Court rolled back Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision and effectively set in um, hair trigger bans in many of the states, particularly those states in the United States South and in areas of the Midwest that automatically banned or limited abortion to the point that it was no longer um, feasible. So women who lived in those states, and I know they lived in those states because I'm literally visualizing the spreadsheet that I made where I was like, girl A, and I was, the two categories were abortion state, no abortion state. If she lived in a state with restricted abortion access, then the baby daddy acted up almost immediately. And by acted up, I mean, he ditched her, he cheated on her, he did her foul in a number of ways, but he basically made it clear that once she had passed the point of no return, where she could no longer get an abortion, where she would have to give birth to that baby, he does her wrong. And then there were the other girls, girls that lived in more liberal states, girls who lived in areas where abortion access wasn't so restricted, or they lived in states where they could easily travel across the border and get an abortion. For example, abortion is pretty heavily restricted in West Virginia, but because I'm from Pittsburgh, I know a lot of people as a Planned Parenthood volunteer would come from the West Virginia border because it's about an hour or two to Pittsburgh, get their abortion and go back home. Girls who lived in those areas, their baby daddies were acting up way later. The baby daddies were acting up in the second, even third trimester, maybe even after birth. And it was very interesting to notice what, again, these young men, because all of their baby daddies, too, were similarly aged. Although I do want to note that when it comes to teen pregnancy, I believe it's one-fourth between one-fourth and a half, depending on the statistics that you look of, of teen moms actually get pregnant by adult men, which is a deeper topic for another time. But the girls 
who had abortion access had more present and active baby daddies until it became absolutely clear that they could no longer take advantage of their state's resources. And then the story ends the same way, right? These young men ditch them. They're approaching single motherhood when they thought that they were entering this together as part of a cohesive family. And now, depending on how long the slideshow went, depending if they did a part two, the baby daddy would essentially attempt to come in and out of their lives, but always under the the guise of like, sexual favors like in order to you know want to take care of his child he had to pretend to be a family and of course we know that behind the scenes being a family also means unrestricted access to sexual intimacy and sexual favors and i think about that trend often when i think about reproductive abuse because in my opinion so much of what that trend was were girls telling the stories of their abuse and not being met with a sea of older people who could tell them, hey, sweetheart, you've been abused and violated in a very particular way. Because I don't think while those girls may have felt that their pregnancy was an accident, that their partners didn't understand the impact of fucking raw and not pulling out. I don't think, I think their partners actually very well understood that these girls were going to get pregnant and then have lifelong ties to them, lifelong ties of sexual intimacy, of a place to stay, of emotional access, of bragging rights, because these girls, almost all of them were girls who were pretty, who were doing well in life, and they got stopped up by a baby because that is the reality for many women, particularly if you are young, black, and you don't come from means. If you have a baby at the wrong time, then what your life would have been is now completely different. And I'm not saying that you can't make it, but I'm saying it's a thousand times harder to make it with a baby on your arm, particularly a baby that you didn't plan for. So why were all of these men doing it? Because abusers have the same handbook and because they're very strategic. In heterosexual abusive relationships, pregnancy is often used as a means to control a woman because pregnancy is disabling. It's a condition that makes you weaker, vulnerable, and that's why abuse is actually most likely to start or escalate when a woman becomes pregnant. People, um, whenever they tell their stories of abuse, it usually starts right whenever they get pregnant, particularly when the abuser understands that they're keeping the baby. Abortion rights are domestic violence rights because women's ability to choose to end their tether with their abuser can oftentimes be the difference between life and death because the number one threat to a pregnant woman's life in America, in the West, in the global South, no matter where you are on the globe, is a violent partner. It is one of the biggest threats that you have. It's why if you've ever been pregnant or if you've ever volunteered at a Planned Parenthood or ever worked in OBGYN's office, you'll know that there's a serious screening program to ask all mothers, are you safe at home? Do you feel safe at home? Can we get you the resources? Because if the answer to any of those questions is no, her risk of homicide increases exponentially. The only time that's more dangerous in a violent relationship is when a woman attempts to leave. Pregnancy is a very dangerous time to be in such a delicate condition, which is exactly why abusers put you in that situation in the first place. And what do we have 
that creates, again, pregnancy. Remember I was talking about birth control, not pulling out. Well, the standards for Black women's sexual performance are ones that encourages raw sex and letting a man nut inside you. And I use that, that's such vulgar terminology, but I use that terminology because that's what floats around in the memes and the casual speech. It's this idea of he likes me so much, we're so locked in, da 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 I'm not going to make him use a condom. Granted, people under the age of 22 do struggle to use condoms. Please use a condom, people. STDs are so real. Um, but it's like this particular idea of like, oh, well, he fucks me so good. Like, face card, shoot me, trap me with the baby. Like, my pussy's so good he should want to not be able to pull out. It's a badge of honor. It's it's a sign of my sexual abilities. And we all know that women, regardless of their race, their sexual abilities are tied to their worth. So it's a sign of who I am as a woman, that this man doesn't have to use protection, doesn't have to pull out, doesn't have to give a fuck about my reproductive health. And how convenient that those are the standards that keep women trapped in these abusive relationships, these women of the Mariah, the scientist trend, who then find themselves pregnant not really taught to think about the consequences because honestly if black women were taught to think about the consequences of these things if someone ever sat down and had a real true conversation the community would crumble because it would mean that nobody could form a community off of our exploitation degradation and abuse it's this idea of valuing yourself at what you can do for a man and all of the things that you can do for a man are one that slowly chip away at your autonomy, personal finances, and even your freedom. It's this idea of glorifying it through songs, through memes, even the way we glorify violence. I made a reference to a City Girls lyric earlier, but one of the most popular sounds that have always go around on TikTok is girl it's Friday night with JT and Carisha and there's one line in particular that like you gonna get a bitch beat up if I go out my baby daddy is gonna beat me up for going out and courting other men because women are not given the freedom to go out and shake their ass with their girls and have a silly little drink and have a lot of fun and maybe get too drunk and throw up Okay, as Hello Kitty intended, it all has to be for the performance of a man. Again, something that plays into a controlling abuser's point of view. You're going to get a bitch beat up for going out and having fun. And that's a joke. I, I said this before in the abusive memes episode, but I really, it boggles my mind to think about how many women don't can't fathom what situation they're in because the culture around them is telling them that everything is normal i wish i could end this episode with some sort of conclusion or something really thought-provoking but the reality is that this is what it is it's an ugly convoluted mess it's a toxic cesspool that women are raped in and forced to give birth in and those children grow up drinking the cesspool and they go on to have these toxic and fragmented ideologies and I have no idea how to fix it. Off the top of my head, I think it would take a real cultural reckoning that people aren't willing to engage with because it's uncomfortable, because it's not cool, because it's not sexy, because it's not something worth talking about and also Cointel Pro.
it's part of the reason why making this episode feel so personally difficult because I like to give some sort of finality, but this isn't a final issue. I'm an optimistic person. I don't know that I'll see an end to this in my lifetime. I can't tell you how many girls that I grew up with have been victims to the situation and have had the trajectory of their life altered because their reproductive control was stolen from them at young ages by boys who were groomed to understand that this is something you can do to a woman with impunity. But I hope that if more people talk about it and we continue to think deeply about it, then less people will be affected or that more women will begin to engage with things like birth control and making the plan for a safe abortion if that's something that they desire to have these options. But again, ending domestic violence would involve a cultural reckoning. And when I say cultural, I haven't just been referring to Black culture. I mean the entire culture of the United States of America would have to really reconcile what it means to lose so many women and girls and the children who are stuck in these relationships to violence. And I don't think we're there as a society, no matter what society you're in, Black, white, brown, Asian. We're not there yet. I wish we were but we're not. But I still think it's something worth talking about, and I still think it's something worth engaging in. This has been a great episode. I appreciate you making it to the end. I know it was tough. As always, you can reach out to me at Hot Weird Girl. That's Girl to Zero on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and very reluctantly, Twitter. Um, I love hearing your ideas. It means so much to me to have so much user support and engagement. As always, please rate this podcast five stars on Apple Music and Spotify. And if you have the opportunity to leave a written review somewhere, please do it and share with one person because why not? I'll see you next Monday. New episodes come out late Monday night. Love you. Bye.